is a bloody disgusting podcast network. We gonna carry on and plan the sequel, cause let's face it, baby, these days, you gotta have a sequel. Stop! Welcome back to Micro Queers. It's your weekly roundup of queer horror shorts, and I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking homophobic white rednecks in Ohio in BJ Colangelo's Labrys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a short that was previously unavailable, and then BJ has made it available recently, so we decided we would throw it onto our October calendar. Joe, I've never heard of this BJ person before. Who is that? <laughs> she's a mysterious woman. <laughs> so, of course, folks will recognize BJ's name because she's all over the Twitters and basically horror shit in general but mm. uh people should know her from this show because she guested last year on our phantom of the paradise episode yes and if you didn't listen to that she's also super super active on twitter um i mean active and also an activist she's a huge activist for queer rights she's got a trans wife as well and like she likes to talk about her experiences i mean again growing up i mean growing up living in ohio and just kind of oh god the, the things they face on a daily basis like it's mm-hmm. um it's sad sometimes, but then of course we get the occasional, you know, boost of happiness because they like they have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if folks feel like we're giving a lot of personal background, it's because we know BJ personally. So this is the first short that we've covered where we actually know the filmmaker to a certain extent. Like we've interacted with BJ fairly regularly over the last couple of years. Well, I mean, yeah. So we, I've never met her in person, but. This is, I think, short or film otherwise, where we've actually, like, we have interacted fairly regularly with the filmmaker. Anyway, so this is going to be kind of fun for us. We're going to have to kind of wade through the waters here, because I I don't know, I feel kind of nervous doing it with someone that I know. (laughs) Sure, yeah. So one of the reasons that we acknowledge that we know BJ is because it does inform our viewing experience. But also, uh, just because we know her doesn't mean that we're not also going to have a conversation about what does and doesn't work in this short, because that's the whole point of the show. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, Joe, do you want to give us a rundown of the plot really quick? And everyone, as usual, um, so the link for this is going to be in our show notes. And it's about seven minutes long. All right, so your, as always, brief plot synopsis is a young woman on her first date with another woman is forced to come to terms with who and what she has always been. Mm-hmm. And the the title Labrys has a meaning, but I think we should maybe wait until we get to the end of the short before we really go into that. Yeah, so maybe let's just expand on what that plot synopsis actually is. So mm-hmm. it concerns a woman named Jill. She is played by Madison Woods, and she is out on a date with Beanie, played by Venchise Glenn. And Venchise Glenn is a kind of lesbian that we've not actually discussed much on the show, because unlike what BJ has put to screen here, we don't see a lot of fat femme lesbians. Mm -hmm. We often see skinny white very beautiful very male gazy lesbians well and if you do see that type they're usually not conveyed in a uh maybe a sexual manner or like as an object of desire you know they're you honestly they're usually the butt of the joke which is just hollywood for you 
Right. Yeah. They're men hating lesbians, you know, like who could find them sexier or attractive because <laughs> heaven forbid we acknowledge that people might be attracted to all shapes and body sizes, <laughs> right? <laughs> and we should also acknowledge that Jill is a person of color. So we have a person of color and then we have a fat femme lesbian and... Question? Yes. Is fat okay to say overweight, hefty, plus size? I, I, I'm, I'm genuinely asking. I just don't know if that's like the okay term to say. I had previously tried to find other ways around it, and I think the preferred nomenclature is to be upfront and say yes. That. It's almost like a like a reclamation. I mean, I've seen like a, I've seen Nay use that term a lot as well. So yeah, okay, that works. Sorry, continue. No, no worries. So these two women are out on a date in basically a small town pub style bar they are more or less shutting the place down they've clearly had a fairly good date you know they're a couple of glasses into wine and beer and they are the only patrons at this bar except for a gentleman who is only named in the credits as captain cheese fries he's played by (laughs) christopher marinin so yeah let's talk about this we're also forgetting the nora dunn doppelganger who runs the bar apparently (laughs) yeah she is played by allison egan and that's really the cast for the six minute short so the women are having a good time they get cat called by this guy who makes them an offer of cheese fries and they politely decline he gets upset they all end up getting kicked out of the bar and then It's not a directly homophobic attack until they get outside, at which point Captain Cheese Fries does end up accosting Lenny against the side of his van, or her van, sorry. Yeah, but I mean, it is pretty clear from the get-go that his initial antagonism is because he can tell that they're not attracted to men, or possibly not attracted to men, you know? Which is, of course, so threatening to his masculinity. (laughs) But of course, yeah. So I think this is also another example. So like, you know, we've seen a lot of shorts that have that look to have like really high budgets and they have a really good production value. This one isn't quite up there. It's it's honestly it reminds me, at least in terms of the look and design of it, from what I can tell from what the budget might have been of the uh, oh God, the backyard Friday the 13th one we watched a couple weeks ago. Final Girls. Yeah. Final Girls. You can hear like the AC or the, the ice machine going. The acting is a little rocky, I think, um, but it does seem to be a labor of love. I do, so it was weird. I caught myself again because you know how I love to catch myself thinking things when I'm watching mm-hmm. queer stories. I was very much like, ah, the dialogue's a little on the nose. Like, it seems a bit of a caricature. But as someone who has paid attention to BJ's Twitter feed over the years, I fully believe this is probably an experience she has had. And also, we should probably point out that she did co-write this with um, Zach Childwalker. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm going <laughs> to run with that. Sure, let's run with that. Yeah, they are frequent co-collaborators, so they also worked on a feature-length film that they made about wrestling. Gotcha. Oh, that tracks. So, you know, I talked about how I grew up in, like, the suburbs of Houston, which was maybe a little bit less liberal, but I have lived in Austin, Texas for... Uh, 12 years now and it's definitely a bubble and I think I just forget sometimes how small town life can be and so even watching this saying to myself oh this dialogue is a little on the nose it's a bit like you know a little cartoony like oh look at the homophobe over there I fully believe this is something that BJ and or Zach have gone through like personally in their life in in Ohio yeah, I didn't find it as stereotypical or, or caricaturish as you maybe mm-hmm. did Part of my frustration was that Christopher Marinin is the weakest actor of the bunch, so his aggressions, micro and otherwise, right. they come off as a little comical to me because he can't convey the proper amount of menace 
Like, I don't find him a properly threatening figure, although I can see the frustration that you would have as a woman who's literally just trying to make a connection with another woman on a date and you're having to deal with men catcalling you from across the bar. Like, this is something that women have to deal with all the time, and I'm sure lesbian women or non-straight defining women are constantly frustrated with, like men who feel that they have a right or a sense of ownership to intrude on whatever it is that they're doing with their lives. Right. And I, I guess I can see where you're coming from with that, because he, he is a bit more of a buffoon than he is like an actual threat, which I do understand. I do think one thing we should, we're, we're also forgetting to point out, and oh God, God help me if you mention this in your plot summary and I just didn't listen to it. <laughs> But Jill is, it seems to be recently out of the closet or recently dealing with her lesbianism or queerness, I guess. I did not address it, so we are fine. (laughs) It's an important piece to the short. And again, I think if you know BJ, this is something that I see parts of herself in here where BJ was always a queer woman, but she has talked on her social media and other outlets about how she felt compelled to mask that until there was a time when she herself was comfortable enough to come out. But she felt like she was forced to stay in the closet and play the part of a heterosexual woman. And I see a lot of that in Jill, who seems comfortable with herself, but she is new on the scene and therefore a little bit hesitant to say the wrong thing or come on too strong or not strong enough so you can see that that wishy-washiness like i actually quite like madison wood's performance i thought that Mm -hmm. she was the best actor in this troupe i agree and i really liked the banter between the two women when they actually get kicked out of the bar and they're walking down the street like you could see that they were into each other i thought that they had a good physical connection to each other i agree with that I mean, it's basically a revenge story. I'm not going to use the term rape revenge because there was no rape here. No. I I will say that I was impressed by the effects. So I just watched Hocus Pocus for episode coming out next week. And it it actually reminded me a lot of Bette Midler's green lightning hands. And I was Mm -hmm. like, for again, a short that I assume must have a really low budget. These little like magic effects look really fun. (laughs) Yeah, I would actually argue that I think the most care and effort went into that which is maybe why we see some of the other parts of the short as like a little bit more bare bones because, you know, you can make decent looking FX work with a low budget, but Mm. it's also that's probably where you're going to spend the bulk of your time and energy as a result. And I do think it looks good. There's also a really cool transition when the car is driving away and it wipes the screen. I don't know why. I just really, really liked that. Oh, no, it's fun. Like, it's a it's a nice stylistic flourish in something where you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting something like that. And even like the fact that we end on a nice high crane mm-hmm. bird's eye view, or maybe a drone. I think a lot of people are doing drone work these days. Oh, I believe that. But there's good stylistic flourishes, like even as Jill, so Jill has walked away when Lini gets attacked, and then she comes back. And that's when the green lightning bursts happen. And as Jill is moving, like the camera is shifting and phasing to suggest like she's tapping into her powers and becoming who she was meant to be and i like that so okay so let's tie the title into that then joe so what are these powers and where are they coming from all right so if we do a little bit of research the labyrinth is a double-headed axe and it is tied to greek and roman mythology as well as the amazons and various other goddesses and interestingly enough it in the 70s was embraced by lesbians as a symbol of lesbian feminism and maybe this is too crude but you've heard like the 
I don't even know if it's a euphemism, because to me, euphemism is, like, a nice way of saying something, but, like, you know, people refer to vaginas as axe wounds. Ah, yes. Okay. (laughs) No, that is a euphemism as well. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know if that was maybe why, like, the double-headed axe was co-opted by lesbians as as a symbol of lesbian feminism, just because it was, like, you know, two axes. Instead of the wound that the axe creates, they're the actual axe themselves. Hmm. I like it. But yeah, I mean, you said this isn't a rape revenge. This is very much like a revenge in the way that there's like a righteous feminism that gets used as a weapon at the end of this short. I thought that that was clever. Yeah, I think that's true as well. But yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, I, I think it's a solid short. I'm happy that BJ made this. I do, again, I have a little, I have a couple qualms about the early going of it, but I think the way it ends is a really like really good note to end on. Joe, would you watch a feature length version of this? Hmm. It's interesting because in a lot of ways, this is exactly what I think of when I think of a short film. Like, it's very much a teaser. It's just enough to tell a story and not much more than that. So in that way, it's nicely encapsulated and self-contained. I wouldn't mind a longer narrative. Like, it'd be fun to watch these two women pursue a romantic relationship. I wouldn't want a murder early in the film. I'd want them to kind of, like, build up to this, like, keep the mystery and the suspense going. Mm -hmm. But as it stands, I'm also like, this is just a nice little six-minute short, and I'm kind of happy to leave it at that, too. See, I do agree to an extent, but then I'm also thinking, I mean, again, because we like the Labyrinth, you know, it's tied to the Amazons, Greek or Roman mythology. I'm like, cool. So give me a Wonder Woman movie with like this newly coming out storyline. So you want Diana Axwoon lesbian <laughs> green powers is what you're saying. Just wonder. Yeah. Do, give me Marvel. But this. Um, no, I mean, that might be like that might be a bit too like surface level. But again, I think there's other things you can explore here that can stretch to feature length. Sure. I do like, I mean, we've seen, you know, superheroes and getting powers as metaphors for queerness. I mean, look at the X-Men films, right? Yeah, yeah. But I still think that there's more to mine there. But because superhero films are so mainstream now, I mean, like, you don't get many indie or low-budget superhero films outside of, like, what, Chronicle, maybe? Yeah, I was actually just thinking of Chronicle as, like, a really great example of low-budget, not low-budget, but lower-budget superhero films. And thinking about the capacity for up-and-coming directors to, like, capitalize on that, because... I do think that, you know, yeah, if you gave people 10 to $20 million and said, okay, you can't do, <laughs> you can't rip out the Golden Gate Bridge or anything, but you can have somebody kind of fly around a little bit. Like, exactly. you could do good augmentation of this story with a budget like that. So maybe one day we'll get this queer Wonder Woman-ish superhero with a $20 million budget. <laughs> mm-hmm. But either way, I, I can see it working. I mean, again, I think it's hard to make it without being too on the nose with like, oh, superpowers is a metaphor for queerness. But oops, they're actually also queer too. But oh yeah, 100% you would get like <laughs> Black Christmas slash The Craft Legacy complaints from all of, well, basically all of the cheese fries in real life. <laughs> but I mean, I think, it's, I think it's something that you could definitely, definitely do. But um, overall, yeah, I think it's a solid short. I'm glad we finally got to see one of BJ's works because, I mean, I've been quite curious for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think then, on that note, we can cross out Labrys. Yes, and cross out Microqueers. Microqueers. <laughs> 